Well, would you uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 to 75, page 998. Well, we're actually going to begin uh, over the page, page 997. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, page 997. We're continuing our series, looking through uh, Matthew's Gospel 26 and 27 as we head towards Easter. And uh, look, look down with me, if you will, at verse 35. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then flip over to our passage, chapter 26, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Someone at once said to the evangelist, D.L. Moody, The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. I can remember wanting to be that man, fully consecrated to God to see what the world could do to one man with one man fully consecrated to him. Overwhelmed by Jesus' love for me, I've been ready and willing to serve him whatever the cost. I felt that desire that I'd be willing to die for him. But I can also remember times, too many times, when I've been apathetic about following Jesus. Times when I've been lazy with my time, sleepy in prayer. Times in the presence of unbelievers when I've kept quiet about being a follower of Jesus. And anyone who is a follower of Jesus and has been for more than about five minutes knows what it is to declare undying love for Jesus, only then to go and deny him. Last week at the men's 24 hours uh, away, which was a great time, uh, one man uh, said this publicly, so I'm not saying anything he hasn't said to a big group. He was talking about time when he was at work and uh, he was doing some photocopying and then signed for the photocopying and uh, the secretary said, you're the only one who signs for his photocopying. And he thought at this moment, now I could tell her why. He's a doctor at the top of his profession. I've got an opportunity to tell her why I do that. And he said, I bottled it. He failed to take the opportunity in saying nothing. He denied Jesus. It's the story of my life. To a greater or lesser extent, I'm sure it's the story of your life too. And that's why this story of Peter's life is recorded here. Peter denied Jesus. And his was a spiritual collapse of quite spectacular proportions Remember, it happened as Jesus faced the might of the Sanhedrin. He had been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, marched off to stand before a kangaroo court, a sham of a court, but a court that was no less intimidating for that. The entire religious elite were gathered to sit in judgment on Jesus. The high priest, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders, respected men in society, men who were listened to when they spoke, men who shaped the nation men who ran the church. The Sanhedrin were a formidable group and they gathered that night in the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, to find a case against Jesus, to find a charge against him that would enable them to issue the death sentence upon him. And as the, the, the court came to its sorry conclusion, which is what we saw last week, accusing Jesus, the Lord of all, of blasphemy, ironically, And as the court came to its sorry end with men striking and ridiculing the one who made them, 
So now Matthew takes us outside Caiaphas' home and to this apparently insignificant event in the courtyard where the crowd and the, the ancient equivalent of the paparazzi had gathered to be the first to discover the outcome of the trial. And there in the crowd is Peter, trying desperately to blend in, but in no time having his cover blown. Verse 69. Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. It is a key moment in Peter's discipleship. Jesus inside the court being wrongly accused and Peter has a chance to stand up for him. It's a poignant moment. Which way will it go? Will Peter stand or fall? Of course it's impossible to build the suspense because you know how the story ends. And so this servant girl comes up to Peter and says, yeah, you were with him. But verse 70, he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. It's a devastating moment. Jesus is on his way to die for the sins of men and women. For men like Peter, people who owe Jesus everything. People who Jesus has never wronged. People who Jesus loves. And yet at that very moment, here is Peter flatly denying ever having had anything to do with the man. But it gets worse. See, as we read through these verses carefully, we see, this is the first point, the, prog- the progression in the event. See, verse, uh, first verse 69, one girl, one servant girl approaches Peter, just a slip of a girl. Then in verse 71, another girl spoke to the crowd about Peter. See, 71, he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And finally, verse 73, the crowd, all of them, tackled Peter. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. Do you see the progression? How each time Peter denies Jesus before more and more people. Of course, that's what happens. If I will not stand up for Jesus before one person, it will be that much easier to deny him before others. You and I know the truth of that. If I won't stand up for Jesus when confronted by someone like a servant girl or the secretary at work or or anyone who is far from intimidating, I don't stand a chance of standing up for him when I'm in a crowd, in the office, with my mates down the pub, when I have friends round for dinner. A few years ago I was leading a Christian weekend on, on what it meant to be a Christian at work, Christians in the workplace, that was the whole weekend. And after one seminar, a man in his 40s came and spoke to me. He was a man who was fully involved with his church, fully involved in the... He was actually on the PCC. He went to Bible study every week. He was faithful on going on Sundays. He was definitely a Christian. And then he said these words. He says, I've been working in the same place now for 20 years and no one knows that I'm a Christian. I was staggered. How many times must he have denied Jesus by just keeping quiet about Jesus. Now he was challenged. He knew he had to do something about it and he said to me, how do I tell them now? Every time I deny any association with Jesus, it gets harder to declare myself a Christian the next time. The moment Peter denied Jesus before the servant girl in verse 70, you just know he'll deny Jesus when the going gets tough, don't you? But that's not the only progression in the story. Look at Peter's response. First, it's a flat denial in verse 70. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then there's a denial under oath, verse 72. 
I swear to God, I don't know the fellow, is effectively what he's saying. And finally he calls down curses in verse 74. He began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. It is a chilling moment. And not least of all, because the original doesn't say he called down curses on himself. On himself is not in the original. And so R.T. France argues that Peter may well have been calling down curses on Jesus. I don't know the man and he deserves everything he gets. Gerhardson writes, in order to save his skin, Peter howls with the wolf pack. But of course the truth is, his skin was not in danger. All that Peter faced was a bit of barracking, a hard time and and being rejected by people he didn't know anyway. It's a desperate moment, isn't it? And all the more as we look secondly at the contrast of the events. Firstly, the progression in the events. Secondly, the contrast of the events. See, this little incident is brilliantly positioned straight after the sham trial that Jesus suffered. At the trial, we saw last week that Jesus was in danger of his life. Yet he stands firm against the highest authorities in the land as they threaten him with death. Peter, by contrast, is in danger of not very much at all, except embarrassment, rejection by a couple of servant girls that he doesn't even know and he'll probably never even meet again, and yet he crumbles under that fairly insignificant pressure. At his trial in verse 63, Jesus is put on oath to speak the truth about himself. Peter, by contrast, in verse 72, puts himself under oath and then denies the truth about himself. See the contrast? At his trial, Jesus is falsely accused of blasphemy in verse 65. And we can't miss the irony, for Jesus the Lord himself is being accused of blasphemy. Peter, by contrast, in verse 71, is accused of knowing Jesus. And in denying it, he becomes guilty of blasphemy. The contrast is striking, isn't it? And our denial, you see, is that much more shocking when we lay it against the suffering that Jesus went through for us. I'm sure that's why it's written here. Indeed, it is in spending time meditating on the passion and cross of Christ that we will be motivated to live for him and to stand up for him in the crowd. That's the only motivation that will last. Now, we might feel guilty, but that won't last. And so can I encourage us as we head towards Easter to spend much time meditating on the cross of Jesus and then seeing your own denial and then you might have a fighting chance along with me of living as we should, standing up for him. The progression in the events, secondly the contrast of the events, thirdly the chain of events. See I've been asking myself this week as I've been studying what brought such a tenacious man to such a sad moment. Peter was an incredibly bold character. What brought him to this moment? Well, as I've studied, I've become convinced that you can see it coming way back. There was a long chain of events that led up to this. And we do well to take note of it if we're to avoid denying the Lord Jesus to the extent that Peter did. You see, this was an extraordinary spiritual collapse, wasn't it? We all deny Jesus, yes, there's no doubt. But Peter's final denial is breathtaking if he really was calling calling down curses on Jesus. What led him to that point? What led up to it? Well, look, here are the chain of events as I see it. Firstly, Peter thought he knew better than Jesus. 
Turn with me back to uh, chapter 16 of Matthew and verse 13. We see it all began way back then. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, page 983. We begin to see this chain of events. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Here's the key bit, Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, see it's Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is a key moment And not only in Peter's life, but in the Gospel, as Peter declares Jesus to be none other than the Christ, God's King in God's world, he is spot on. But then turn over the page and look at verse 21. Yes, he is the Christ. Now the Christ begins to declare what that will mean. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then look at this, Peter again. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Isn't verse 22 remarkable? Peter rebuked Jesus. Peter had just said to Jesus, you are the Christ. Jesus, you are the king of the universe. And then Peter had the temerity to rebuke him. It's remarkable and almost unbelievable until we think about it because we've all done it. Declared Jesus as the Christ and then we think we know better than him. We do it when we won't listen to his word. Even though his word tells us how to live. No, I'll do it my way. But just because it's a regular event in the life of believers, don't think it is any less remarkable for that. Peter says, no, to the Lord. No, Lord. And you know, those are two words that just don't go together. You can't put no and Lord together in one sentence. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. Years ago, I was told the story of a girl at a Christian camp. It became evident while she was away that uh, she was sleeping with her boyfriend. She admitted it to one of the leaders and after much talking and many tears, the leader got a scrappy bit of paper and wrote two words on the paper. Here they are, those two words, no Lord, just those two words. And he told her to go back to her dorm and to cross out one of them. He said, you can't have both in one sentence. You cross out, either cross out no and call him Lord and start obeying him or you cross out Lord and say no to him. What are you going to do? That was Peter, you see. Peter thought he knew better than Jesus in this one particular area. And this particular area was that I think Peter didn't have a theology that allowed the suffering of the Christ. This is very important, I think. You see, verse 21, Jesus explained about his suffering and it was that that Peter rebuked him about. Peter couldn't see that Jesus' suffering was necessary. We saw it last week. We saw how Jesus had to suffer as a fulfilment that he was the Christ. But Jesus also had to suffer as the one who bore the sin of the world. He had to take the punishment of hell for us if we were to avoid it. Do you see, suffering is right at the heart of the Christian gospel because we live in a fallen world. We can't look at the back wall and see the cross without knowing that suffering is right at the heart of the Christian gospel. But Peter couldn't see it or wouldn't see it. Of course, neither do many followers of Jesus. 
And so when suffering comes, they disintegrate. In the face of suffering, they collapse. Deny Jesus. Let me ask you, friends, do you have a biblical grasp of suffering in the world? Peter, at this point, didn't. I thought John's prayers were very helpful, looking at the first letter of Peter. He clearly did in time. He writes to people who are suffering. He got it in the end, but at this point he didn't. And this was the beginning of his collapse, so that when suffering came, he didn't want to suffer, because he didn't see that it fitted with the Christian gospel. That's why he collapsed when Jesus uh, had to suffer and when he thought that he might have to suffer. Firstly, then, Peter thought he knew better than Jesus. The second chain to his collapse was Peter refused to believe the scriptures. Turn on to chapter 26 and verse 31, if you will. We begin to see how this chain builds up. Chapter 26, verse 31. Jesus told them, This very night you'll all fall away on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Again, Peter, Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, This very night, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. You see, that last phrase sounds so grand. I'll die for you, Lord. And in one sense, it's right. We should have a passion to serve Christ, whatever. The world would be turned upside down if we were all ready to die for Jesus and lived it. But in this context, it is not good. Because once again, Peter is saying, no, Lord, and no to the Scriptures. See, look at verse 31. Jesus said, you will all fall away on account of me. The Scripture says, it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But Peter won't take it. He's like a dog with a bone, isn't he? No, Lord. So again, Jesus says in verse 34, no, you will fall away. And then he says, no, I'm going to die for you. Do you see, Peter would not listen to Jesus in the scriptures. Be sure of this, if we refuse to listen to Jesus and his word, we will collapse spiritually. Now, those of you who are sharp this morning will be saying, well, yeah, but but Paul, Peter had no choice. Jesus said that Peter would deny him. This was going to happen. What difference would it have made if he'd have listened to him? Are you following the, the argument? Well, I think I'd like to reply like this. Peter's denial was exceptional. Calling down curses, if not on himself, on Jesus. Surely if he'd listened to Jesus, while he may still have fallen, it would not have been so spectacular. See, it's like this. The Bible tells me I am sinful and that I will always be sinful, that I will continue to sin until the day I die or or until Jesus returns. Now, if I will listen to that, I have a fighting chance of dealing with sin, not overcoming it completely, but dealing with it. Of course, it is never an excuse when I do sin. Uh, Although the Bible tells me I'm like that, it's always my fault when I do. But if I deny that I'm a sinner, I don't have a chance of overcoming sin, do I? When I admit it and face up to it and read the scriptures and and let them sink into me, then I will fight against it and have a fighting chance that I'll overcome it. Isn't that what's going on here? Peter, you're going to deny me. But we don't believe in fatalism as Christians, do we? Peter, you're going to deny me. But his denial need not have been as spectacular as it was. If only he'd listened. 
Peter thought he knew better than Jesus. Peter refused to believe the scriptures. Thirdly, Peter was sleepy in prayer. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked the disciples to keep watch in prayer. And what happened? Well, you remember it well. Jesus has gone off to pray. He's asked them to, to be praying. Verse 40, he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked. Peter, again, watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Again, you see, I'm sure Peter's prayerlessness contributed to this spiritual collapse. Oh, I've done it, physically falling asleep while saying my prayers. Have you ever done that? Ever fallen asleep while you've been praying? Let me let you into a secret. I've done it in church. Not while you were praying, John. Not this morning. But this is more than that. This is pointing to a spiritual sleepiness, not being a praying person, not making prayer a priority, failing to keep watch over our lives in prayer. Michael Bourne, the former Bishop of Chester, has said, 80% of all pastoral problems can be traced back to the fact that people have given up reading the Bible and praying. Very striking, isn't it? How many of us deny the Lord Jesus because we're not in a vibrant daily relationship with the Lord? Now let me ask you, how's your prayer life going? Now I'm always, I'm always reticent to ask that question, particularly from the pulpit, because it can just engender lots of, uh, lots of guilt. That's not the point. I met with a number of Christian students earlier in the year. They were all enthusiastic men and women. They were very impressive men and women. Meeting them actually gave me great hope for the future of the church in this land. But I asked them all the same question. Tell me about your quiet times. Tell me about your pattern of Bible reading and praying. And almost all of them looked a little embarrassed as they said, well, I've not got a regular pattern of prayer. Uh, you see, they did pray but not in a structured, organised way. At best, they stumbled into it. And that meant that often they didn't pray. Isn't that true for you? It's certainly true for me. If I don't put down a time when I'm going to pray, it just doesn't happen. Well, it might do sometimes, but on the whole, it doesn't. We need to recover the daily quiet time. When I was first a Christian, I was, it was drummed into me that I should spend time each day reading the Bible and praying. No, I haven't done it every day since. I fail. But the fact that it's been drummed into me means that I've got a fighting chance of doing it. That I should put time aside every day to spend with my Lord. I have a hunch that we would deny Jesus a lot less if we were to spend a lot more time with him. I mean, really, not rushing our quiet time. You know, I'm going to do ten minutes. I'm going to read, my, read the book and then say the prayers got to be serious Peter wasn't watching and praying just moments earlier he promised he'd die for Jesus but he couldn't even stay awake to pray it's very easy can I speak to the guys here it's very easy for us to be all macho about this I'll die for Jesus it means nothing if we don't even get down on the knees and pray at all does it we do need to pray because we are so frail spiritually. Listen to the 14th century German mystic Thomas Akempis. Oh, how great is human frailty which is forever prone to evil. Today we confess our sins and tomorrow commit the same sins. This hour we resolve to be vigilant and the next act as if we'd never resolved at all. Is that you? It's certainly me. And it was Peter and not praying contributed to that. 
And if we don't read the scriptures and pray, we will make poor judgments as well. See, just look on to verse 51. You know, when, uh, when, the, when, when the, the people come to arrest Jesus and the, the disciples are there and one of them uh, cut, uh, picks up a, a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, do you know in John's Gospel, do you know who it was? We discover it was Peter. There's a surprise. See, he'd just woken up. He'd not been praying. And so he's all at sea, spiritually disorientated. What does he think he's doing? We can't bring about spiritual results through war, yet he's picking up a a sword, he's chopping, oh, so macho, how wonderful. This is the old Peter re-emerging. Peter the tough fisherman. I think he would have been different if he'd have been praying, wouldn't it? Have you seen the chain of events that led up to Peter's denial? And there's one more. They're very simple. Peter thought he knew better than Jesus. Peter refused to believe the scriptures. Peter was sleepy in prayer. And fourthly, Peter distanced himself from Jesus. We saw it last week in verse 58. Peter followed him at a distance. Yeah, that was physically true, but there's a spiritual point here as well. No doubt, like me, over the years you've seen people fall in the Christian life. It's such a sad moment. I can think of some of those people now. What a shock it is when they do, especially when they're leaders in the church. And when I've sat down with people uh, when that's happened and, and chatted things through with them, I discovered it wasn't so out of the blue after all. See, at the time when I see somebody fall, I think, well, I didn't see that coming. But I sit down and chat and and we start to go back through it and they've been drifting away for some time. They've been distancing themselves from Jesus. Yeah, prayer has gone. Church involvement has gone. They've slipped out of the habit of Bible study at home and in a group. And they're walking at a distance from Jesus, you see. I won't be at all surprised if there are some here this morning who know that's happening to them right now. You're just drifting away. You haven't given up on Jesus yet. You're just drifting away. And the Lord is challenging you. Act before you fall as Peter did. So you feel the Lord has been speaking to you this morning. It's not to to make you feel bad. It's to put you back on a firm footing. He's a gracious God. Well, we all fall like Peter, fail like Peter. And that's why this little cameo is recorded here, right in the middle of Jesus' passion. See, this is exactly why we need Jesus' death on the cross for us. Because we all fail. Even those of us who've been drawn to Jesus, who've met with Jesus, who've been shaped by Jesus, those of us who are committed to Jesus and want to serve Jesus, even those of us who are ready to die for Jesus, we all fail. And that's exactly why we need the forgiveness and acceptance that comes through the cross of Jesus. Well, this morning some of you will feel that, uh, that you failed, that perhaps you failed Jesus in, in great ways, very significant ways. And remembering those times, maybe you feel just as Peter did right at the end of the story, you feel like going out and weeping bitterly. Well, we're going to have a time of confession now.